Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom from the sermon series God on Film, spoken by Peter Ahn. Oh, if that doesn't wake you up this morning, I don't know what will. <laughs> yeah, just by show of hands, how many of you actually went to the theater and you saw this movie? Come on, won't be ashamed. It's okay, I saw it. Anyone else? Uh, how many of you intend to watch this movie in the next few weeks? Raise your hand. All right, I am so sorry. Uh, somebody yelled at me after service, uh, first service, because they felt like I gave away the whole movie. And uh, I will be sharing some things about the movie, but I'll try to hold it back a little bit, okay? But I, you know, in order for me to talk about the movie and unpack it, I got to actually talk about the movie. So uh, I apologize ahead of time if, if some of you get upset because... Uh, uh, you know, I share some things about the details about the movie that you don't want me to share, but I, I'm going to have to do it. So uh, now this movie takes place three years after Jurassic World theme park had to come to sort of an abrupt end. If you watched that movie a few years ago that came out, uh, humans could no longer contain these animals anymore. And as a result of it, humans had to leave the island and these animals now were able to survive and live in an island on Costa Rica and were able to live freely. Uh, away from human beings. And, uh, but during this movie, the problem arises where a volcano started to erupt. And these dinosaurs will be destroyed by it. And I guess the problem, the dilemma of the movie is simply this. Do we go in and save these dinosaurs and save them from extinction? Or do we let Mother Nature take its course and let them die? That's sort of like the big dilemma in the movie. A lot of the experts uh, said we should just let them die, let Mother Nature take its course because it was wrong for us to clone them. So we should just let them die. That's what they said. But uh, there was also a group of people that wanted them to live. And uh, one of which was Claire, who was one of the main characters in the show. And, and she used to be an executive at the theme park. And uh, she started an animal, uh, dinosaurs protection group. Uh, trying to raise funds so that these animals could be saved. That was one part. Uh, the other part was uh, there was a family called the Lockwood family, and they were the ones that really wanted to, they had the means, the financial means, to save these dinosaurs. Uh, the Lockwood family were responsible for actually cloning and resurrecting these dinosaurs from extinction, and so they had the means and the resources to save them. And so in order to do that, they really needed Claire, and they needed also Chris Pratt's character, Owen, who was really a great character in the movie, to go in to save, because they knew the island well enough, um, and they needed uh, Claire and the intelligence of Chris Pratt to get these dinosaurs. And so they invited them to come. They talked to them about this proposition. Mr. Lockwood met with them and said, I am going to bring these dinosaurs to a different island called the Sanctuary. So will you help us in saving these dinosaurs? Well, eventually they said yes, they would. And so they take a team of people, a rescue operation mission, and they go. And, and in the movie, the, the man who runs this whole entire operation is an executive for the Lockwood Estates. His name is Eli Mills. And Eli uh, was running this operation. He made Claire and Owen to believe that uh, they're doing this to save these dinosaurs. But what he was really doing was he wanted to capture these dinosaurs and sell them in the black market because they were worth millions, tens of millions of dollars each. And that was what he wanted to do. And really, really, the, the message of this movie, it, what it teaches us is that it's about how our love for money can destroy our lives. That's the heart of the message of this movie. Our love for money will destroy our lives. And I think when you think about the message of that movie, and you think about our own lives, and in the, in the society in which we live in today, it's, it's true. 
Our love for money can destroy our relationships with people who are close to us, can hurt us in many destructive ways. It's a power sometimes that we're not capable of handling in our own lives. The Bible has a whole lot to say about this. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about what our love for money, what will happen in our lives if we fall in love with money in that way. But really we're going to look at how we can sort of deliver ourselves from that. Because it's really difficult. I don't know about you, but it's really difficult to fight the temptation of falling deeper in love with money. Last Sunday, if you were not here, uh, God invited you and I to be his neighbor. He invited us. It was a beautiful invitation. We, through looking at the movie, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Won't You Be My Neighbor. Uh, it was a beautiful invitation of, of coming and, and living and experiencing God's love for you, not just with your mind, but with your heart. And that's the hope and the, and the calling of a Christian person, is to live in that love every day of our lives. And what we find is that we cannot be God's neighbor. We cannot live under the power of God's love if we love money. The very words of Jesus says in Matthew 6, 26, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. These are the very words of Jesus Christ. God loves you so much that he longs to live in a healthy relationship with you. And Jesus himself says that if you love money, you're going to hate God. There's no other alternative. And so he says, love God so that you can hate money. And that's the challenge that we have to try to live by. How can this movie and how can some passages in Scripture really help us to sort of get through this place where we can do battle with our love for money? That's what we're going to talk about. So before we get there, can we just bow our heads for a moment of prayer? So God, we just pray that you'll help us, Lord, to um, make sense of this movie. But most importantly, to really heed the warning that you've placed upon our lives that you created us for a deep relationship with you. You created us so that we can have a deep relationship with other people. And sometimes what often stands in the way of that is money and our love for it. And so, God, I pray that as we look at the scriptures, this would be really a, a, an empowering, convicting message that you would encourage all of us to know, God, that the greatest commodity, the greatest worth that we can pursue in life is really our relationship with you and nothing else. So I pray that you would help us Reveal to us that uh, you truly are the greatest thing that we could ever, ever have in our lives. And may we live our lives representing that. So I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, God, I pray that it will be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. Turn with me to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10. This is King Solomon who is at the time the wealthiest man Alive. All right, this is what he pens in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. He says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Isn't that true? Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. It don't matter how much money you make, you're never going to be satisfied with it. Solomon was the wealthiest man alive, but he was also the wisest man alive during his time. And he comes to the conclusion, even though he had all this money, he comes from experience. He's sharing this with experience. And he's saying that whoever loves money will never have enough. Whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with their income. They would want more and more and more. And he goes on to say that it's just all meaningless. 
It's like chasing after the wind. Why would we pursue this with our lives when we constantly want more of it and yet it leads us to a very destructive path? He ends Ecclesiastes by simply saying that the goal for all of us is for us to fear God and keep his commandments. It's for us to hold God at such a place where we, we hold him with reverence and we want to follow his commands. Because if we follow his commands, it's not about God just patting you on the shoulder and saying, good job. That's not what following his commands is all about. It's really not about you feeling good about yourself and thinking that you're a good Christian if you follow his commands. He's trying to protect you from falling into the lie and the misdeeds of the enemy, convincing you that other things are worth more than pursuing him. That's what he's doing. And so what he's teaching us here in this passage, he's teaching us that the love of money is destructive. The love of money is destructive. Now money isn't evil. Money is neutral. You know this. It's the love of money that is evil. Our love for money feeds our self-centered desires, our narcissistic tendencies. And we know that narcissism is kind of like the root of all evil. Well, nothing will feed our narcissism than our love for money. And you know as well as I do that family members, you have lost relationships with some aunties and some uncles and other people in your family because of money. We know that marriages, the number one reason why most marriages end in a divorce is because of money. Money, oftentimes what it does, that when we fall in love with it, it will destroy relationships with people that are so close to us and especially in our relationship with God. All right? Jesus talks more about money than anything else in the Gospels. He talks more about money. Do you know how many verses in the Bible there are on the topic of money? Want to take a wild guess? 2,350 verses in the Bible talk about money. It's a real major narrative in Scripture because God knows that when you and I fall in love with money, then we inevitably end up hating him. Now, we may not say, I hate you, God, but we live our lives like we do. We don't give him any regard in life anymore. And that's, a, that's an unfortunate place for you and I to be because God loves you. He wants you to be his neighbor and he calls you and I as we experience his love. Our purpose in life is then to go and to love others as well. That's what God calls you and I to pursue in life. And when we fall in love with money, we will inevitably go to a place where we struggle deeply in life. The desire to want to get rich is a very scary desire that you have to be careful of today. Because for a lot of us then also, we not only want to get rich... But we want others to get rich. We want our children to get rich. We want to invest in them so that they can get rich. And more than wanting our children to get rich, can I just encourage you that you would have a greater desire to want your child to be more spiritually rich in God. May that be your desire. And I think our church is really getting there. Uh, 14 of our students right now, high school students, they are in Knoxville. I said Nashville. They're in Knoxville, Tennessee at the University of, of, of Tennessee. And they're there with 5,000 other youth group high school kids at a conference from our denomination where for an entire week they're going to experience God. They're going to be learning. Hopefully they'll be committing their lives to the Lord in a deeper way. They're going to be exposed to something that they've never experienced before because 5,000 high schoolers screaming and yelling and dedicating their lives to God is going to be epic. All of you invested in them to go there. Do you know that? You guys were so generous with the bake sales. You were so generous with the car wash. Thank you that you didn't pay them based upon their performance. 
<laughs> you were so generous. You gave way above what, you know, that job really, you know, was worth. But you were so generous in investing in their spiritual lives. That 14 of them are able to go there now. And hopefully they're going to be rocked by God and the Holy Spirit. I hope that brings you joy. And parents, I hope it brings you greater joy to see your child deeply, madly in love with Jesus Christ rather than them being a multimillionaire one day. May that be the true joy that you live for. Because when you do that, you'll have your values and your priorities set so straight that you'll be able to be wealthy in so many other ways than just finances. But thank you again for allowing our, our, our kids, our youth group kids, to go on this trip. The thing that we have to fight with is this, is that the American dream is not God's dream. And we live in a country where, we're teach, where we live in a country where we believe that the dream of every one of us should be to be wealthy. That's not God's dream for you. God's dream for you is for you to love him, to serve him, and to care for the least, the last, and the lost. There are also 2,000 verses, over 2,000 verses in the Bible where God wants you and me to serve and to love those who are considered to be poor and the oppressed. That is the calling that God has placed upon your life and my life. And if we don't do that, like King Solomon says, we're never going to be content. We're never going to be happy with how much money we make. We're always going to want more. We're never going to be satisfied. We're just going to want more. And then that greed keeps setting in and it grows and grows and grows. And so Eli Mills in the movie was this young guy who worked for the Lockwood family. And he was able to get, the, the team was able to get all the dinosaurs together and they came to the Lockwood Estates in Northern California. And so they're in the basement of Northern California. World leaders from all over the world came. These billionaires all came and uh, they were bidding on these dinosaurs. They were bidding and trying to figure out how much these dinosaurs could be. They were trying to buy them, not so that they could have them as a pet, but they brought them because they were weapons of mass destruction. That's why they were selling them. And so they all came out one by one. We have a foot, uh, just a picture of that. One by one they came out and they'll talk about the dinosaur and talk about how, how, how powerful this dinosaur is and they'll start selling. And they were selling for like 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars each. Eli Mills was making some serious money. Making some serious Towards the end, they, uh, they brought out the last dinosaur. And it was a dinosaur that they created. They mixed the DNAs of other dinosaurs. And they made this dinosaur called the Endoraptor. The Endoraptor was the ultimate killing machine. But they said, this dinosaur is not for sale. Because we just created it. We don't have enough information on this dinosaur. we got to kind of do some more testing. We're not sure if this is the right sort of makeup, the genetic makeup that we want. So we cannot you know, sell this dinosaur, and it's also extremely dangerous to have a dinosaur like this. Well, do you think the world leaders, that stopped the world leaders? They kept bidding and bidding and bidding. They went higher and higher and higher, so much so. And the auctioneer was like, please, we're not selling these dinosaurs. Elon Mills looks at the auctioneer and says, no, you're selling that. You're selling the Endoraptor. And he sells the Endoraptor. Do you know how much money Elon Mills made before they sold the Endoraptor? $150 million. And it still wasn't enough for him. He wanted more. Teaching us again what King Solomon taught us. Those who love money will never have enough. They'll always want more and more and more. Do you think you're rich today? Somebody, most of you will say no. Yes, you are. 98% of Americans, they did a study. They said 98% of Americans say that they're not rich. You know 50% of the population of this world live on less than $2 a day? 
They don't have a change of clothing. They don't have much food to eat. Do you know what the average American makes a day? $168. That's how much money we make a day. If you have clothes and food, you're wealthier than 3 billion people in this world. We're wealthy. I know you may not think you are because you compare yourself to other people, but we are wealthy. Do you know what the University of Warwick in the UK, they did a study, and the study was to link money with happiness, right? It was entitled Money and Happiness. And you know what they concluded? They, didn't, they concluded that it's not about how much money you make that's going to make you happy. It's not that. Because a lot of us, we think if we make a certain amount of money, it's going to make us happy. That's not what it's about. You know what, the move, you know what the study came up with? You know what they discovered? It's not about how much money you make that's going to lead to happiness. It's knowing the fact that you make more money than your friends and your colleagues will lead to happiness. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it happens all the time. You meet somebody, maybe even at church, you think, oh, this person is so cool. Man, we're going to hang out, you talk. And then maybe they invite you over to their house. They live in a beautiful home. And you're like, oh, God, I feel horrible about myself. <laughs> Can't believe they live like that. And look at where I live. Look at what I drive. You know, it happens all the time. And so the study concluded that it's not about how much money you make that's going to make you happy. It's just knowing the fact that you make more money than your friends and your colleagues. How are you ever supposed to get close and live in intimate relationships with your friends if that's what you think leads to happiness? It's never going to happen. And so when you and I fall in love with money, what we're naturally doing is we're creating a chasm between us and God, and not only us and God, but between us and other people, especially our friends and our family. And it's so sad that we sometimes will get sad and we'll get depressed when we feel like our friends are making more money than us. We should be like, good for you. God bless you. You have the gift to make money. So keep making more of it, right? Rather than feeling horrible about ourselves and being so sad about it. You see, Eli in this movie, he was managing the Lockwood estates, but none of that was his money. It was all Mr. Lockwood's money. And so he wanted his own. He wanted money. He wanted to be wealthy. He wanted to know what it felt like to be a multi-multi-millionaire. And so that's why he thwarts the plans of Mr. Lockwood, and he takes these dinosaurs and he sells them in the black market, and he becomes a very wealthy man as a result of it. Eli didn't care about his relationship with Mr. Lockwood. Mr. Lockwood was like a father to him. Trusted him. I mean, he trusted him with his fortune. Can you imagine? That's how much trust he had. He didn't care about that because he wanted to be wealthy. Now, here, a little spoiler alert. Hopefully that's okay. But when Mr. Lockwood found out, when he found out uh, what... Eli was doing, he of course confronted him, and because Mr. Lockwood was very old in age and he was confined to a bed, Eli took a pillow and suffocated him to death, killed him because his love for money was far greater than his love for the man who was like a father to him. That's what happens when we become greedy and we want more. We just never have enough. Look at what John D. Rockefeller wrote. He said this quote, and John D. Rockefeller during his time was the wealthiest man in the world. He says, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. The poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. Now listen, if I said that, you wouldn't really believe me. But if somebody like this guy who is the wealthiest man alive says something like that, you better listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. Greed tells us we never have enough. Greed allows us to not be content with what we have already because we want more. Then how much is enough for you, let me ask you? How much do you think you need to make to, think that, to believe that you're rich? You know, they did a study on that in this country. You know how much 
the Amer a typical American person said how much money they're going to need to feel like they're wealthy? $5 million a year. That that is, they say that if they have $5 million a year, that they feel like they will be wealthy. That means if you make a few million, they don't feel like they're rich. Isn't that crazy? $5 million a year? And they, they think they need to make that much in order to be wealthy? Therefore, we're never satisfied and we always want more. We want more and we want more. And as a result of that, you know what happens? Because not, very few of us in this room are even making that kind of money. So you know what we end up doing? Because we want to kind of have some of that kind of lifestyle. We end up going into incredible debt for a lot of us. Some of us are in so much debt today that it's destroying us. And if you're in debt and if you're in incredible debt, then you love money. There's no other way around it because you, 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 be, you believe into this thought that having more makes you feel better and you're more happy as a result of it. And it's a, it's a scary reality. Now, there's necessary debt like home mortgages and things like that. I mean, that's necessary. You, those are debts that I, would, I wouldn't necessarily say is like a horrible debt. But like credit card debts, they're horrible. The average credit card debt in America in a, in a household in America is $7,136. $7,136 is the average credit card debt in America. That means 61% of Americans today are living paycheck to paycheck. 61% of us are living paycheck to paycheck because we're spending just about or more than we actually make. And we can't do that because if we do, then we fall into this, into this vortex of loving money and never feeling like we have enough. How do we deliver ourselves from it? Paul the Apostle has a great word for us in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If I could encourage you folks that this week, if you can read chapter 6 of 1 Timothy every day, it would be really good for all of us if we did this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 3. Here's what Paul says. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instructions of our Lord Jesus Christ and to, go to the godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. Paul was definitely a little bold and when he taught. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What was happening during this time was that there were false prophets that were emerging in the church. And you know why these false prophets were emerging? Because they figured out that if they can be a prophet, they can get wealthy. And so they started emerging in the church, and Christians started to believe in them. And here's was, this was the teaching that they taught that was so destructive. They taught that spirituality and wealth were deeply connected to each other. That the more spiritual you are, the more wealthy you had to become. And so because they're a prophet, one of the most spiritual people in the church, they needed more money. They were teaching that to the people of the church at that time. Sometimes religion provides a marvelous cover for evil. And that's what happened here. That's what was happening. And we have that today in some churches. It's called the prosperity gospel. It's this belief that the more spiritual you are, the more money you will have. 
It's a very dangerous gospel because what that teaches then is that God doesn't love poor people. It's a real destructive teaching here. And so Paul teaches against this. And he says that money is the root to all sorts of evil. That means that some of our brokenness today, we're broken and we're struggling with some sinful patterns. Not necessarily because we're just like this horrible person. It's because we have such a deep love for money. That maybe we struggle with the sin of shame, lust, greed. We struggle with jealousy. Anger, all of that. Maybe the reason why we do that today is because we have such a deep love for money. It's a struggle. Paul says it's the root to all sorts of evil in our lives when we fall in love with money. Again, let me just say this. Money isn't evil. It is our love for money that is evil. Money is just a very neutral thing, but it's our love for money. And when we love money, we will not care much about people and people that we care about. People that are close to us because we'll care more about money than that. And we've hurt so many people. We've been a part of relationships where so many people have gotten hurt because of money. We get an opportunity as a church to go and do prison ministry once a quarter to East Jersey State Prison. Maximum security in Rawway. And uh, when we first started going there about three years ago, um, Reverend Atkins came to me. He's the chaplain there. And he said, hey, um, for those in this room that know how to speak Korean, would you please connect with this one gentleman? He doesn't speak English at all. So he's got nobody to talk to in prison. And he's been here for a little, just a short while, but he's been here. And so we said, absolutely, we'll, we'll talk to him. And, you know, my Korean is not very good, so I just said hi to him. But we had a few folks that were able to really speak well with him. And uh, it was good, right? And, and, and so, you know, they asked, why are you here? What, what, what did you do? What crime did you commit? And he said that, well, he lives in Korea. That's his home. And he said he gave his best friend, his best friend shared with him an amazing best business opportunity. And he gave all of his money to his best friend because he trusted him. And his best friend took that money and came to New Jersey and lived here. Well, he got on a plane and came to New Jersey and found his best friend and stabbed him 20 times in the chest and killed him. And that's why he's in jail an older man, and he'll probably die in jail. A sweet, gentle man. You see, what money did was that this best friend of his wanted money so bad that he was willing to rip off his best friend. I mean, can you imagine the, the, the betrayal and the anger that you feel? Because if you can't trust your best friend, who can you trust? Seriously. And because of that anger and that rage, he came to this country and he took a knife and he stabbed this man over 20 times in the chest, and as a result of that, he's doing 25 to 30 years, and he's in his 60s. Now, I know a lot of you, you'll never do that. I get it. You're just like, well, I'm not going to kill anyone. Obviously, what I'm here to tell you is simply this, is that when you fall in love with money, people are not as important to you anymore. And when people are not important to you, then God is not important to you. <laughs> because how can you love God if you can't love your neighbor as yourself? You can't live out the, most, the greatest commandment in all of Scripture that Jesus says that as Christians we are to follow. We are to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. And if I'm just honest, all of us in this room, we struggle somewhat with the love for money. We just have to. We live in this country, the wealthiest country in the world. There's just some of that stuff. And everything we watch and see promotes you should love Money. And so how can, we be, how can we be delivered from that? How can we be delivered from that? Um, there's only one thing 
that's going to help you and I to be delivered from our love and our obsession with money. And Paul shares it in verse 6. It's that we have to be content with what we already have. You have to learn to be content with what you already have. Look at verse 6. Verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. All right? We have to learn to be content with what you have already. Now, I know for some of you it's really hard because you're not, you're, you're, you don't love money, but right now you're struggling to even make it because you have a lot of bills. Maybe you're a single parent. Maybe you just recently lost your job. And it's hard to be content with what you have already. But you got to get there because what does Paul say in verse 7? He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So listen, as long as you have food and as long as you have another set of clothing in your home, we have to learn to be content with what we have. Amen? None of you here are naked and nobody here looks like they're starving. We can be content with what we have. We have to learn. It's a discipline. I know it's a discipline. But we have to learn to be content with what we have. Because if we cannot be content with what we have, then we're always going to want more, don't we? We're always going to need more. And it's such a dangerous place to be. You know, my, my, I, I, I struggle with this because when I think about next year, my daughter goes to college, my wife and I, we always say, how are we going to pay for college? It's going to be really hard. And you get into this mode of starting to say that we might not have enough. And so how am I going to be content with what I have right now? It, it's, it's a struggle for all of us. It's even a struggle for me. And you know what the, the temptation of that is? That when we're not content with what we have, then we believe that money is the source of our security. And that is such a dangerous place for you and I to be. To believe that money is what is going to give you and I security. That's a load of bull. God is the only source of our security. He's the one who's going to secure us. He's the one who's going to provide for us. And I believe, as I've walked with God for a long time, I always believe he just gives you enough for the day so that you can depend upon him for tomorrow. It's the most spiritual place for you and I to be. Got to be careful when we live in so much surplus in our lives. Because then we forget and we don't depend upon God for tomorrow. It's a difficult, difficult place for us to be. We've got to learn to be content with what you have. So can I just ask you, can you be content with how much you make every year? Can you thank God for your salary? And just be content with it. Saying, God, I thank you for this. And I know in the back of your mind, you say, but I could use some more. <laughs> I get you. I can give you a high five to that, but will you just be content with what you make? Because if you're not content with it, you're going to start getting angry. And when somebody gets promoted ahead of you at work, you're going to look at that person and you're going to see Satan in them. When they are a person that Jesus Christ died for. You're going to start vilifying people. You're going to start getting angry. And then your friends, if they make more money than you and you need more money, you're going to start getting angry at them. You're not going to want to be their friend anymore because you feel terrible about yourself every time you hang out with them because you feel less than them because they make more money than you. That's so sad. That's exactly what the devil wants you and I to think. That's exactly what they want you to do. They want you to, to use money as a reason for you to get away from your relationship with others. Look at what Paul says again, what he says for those who, are, uh, those who want to get rich. And this is for those, who, listen, I don't think it's a bad thing to want to get rich, 
But look at his warning here, verse 9. It says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Has your love for money or you wanting to get rich, has it ever pierced you with many griefs? Has it ever caused a lot of grief in your relationships? You see, Eli Mills at the end, because of his love for money, he was pierced by many griefs. He ended up getting eaten by a dinosaur. (laughs) He got pierced with a serious grief. How true is that of our lives, though? That when we want wealth and we want that kind of wealth, many griefs will come our way and it will pierce us and hurt us and destroy us. You know, I've been privileged enough. I don't have a lot of wealthy friends, but some really golly wealthy friends that I have, I usually ask them, I said, hey, when you graduated from college, did you say I want to get rich? Because there's nothing wrong with that. Say, God, if you make me rich, I'm going to bless your kingdom. <laughs> Have you ever done that? And you know what they said to me? They said they never wanted to get rich when they graduated. That they just wanted to be faithful to the gifts that God's given to them. Right. I love it when I hear those things. Because the godliest, richest people that I know don't even intend to get rich. They just get rich in the process. And God's blessed them and God trusts them with the wealth that they have that they can now manage on his behalf. We have to be careful with our desires sometimes because sometimes our desires, we, we spiritualize our desires when deep down inside there can be a real destructive, evil part to the desire that we really have, right? We have to be careful. Paul says that if we want to be wealthy, if we want to get rich, it's going to pierce us with many, many griefs. So how do we, how do we be content with what we have? Because that's really hard to do. How do we be content with what we have? The first thing, in order for us to be content with what we have, we got to live below our means. We have to learn. Because if you don't live below your means, how are you going to be content with what you have? You're not going to be content with what you have because you got to keep paying for things in order to live the kind of lifestyle that you're living. So that means you and I have to make a conscious effort to start spending less than you make. Can I encourage you to spend a lot less than you make, Right? In fact, Proverbs 21.20 says this, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Now, back in those days, you know, currency, we didn't, they didn't have like money for currency. Currency oftentimes was from food. They bartered. That's how they would, they, they, would, they would trade and buy things from one another, right? And so it's important for you and I to actually save the money that we make, to save some. If you save some money that you make regularly, then you are spending less than you make. You're living below your means, and that's a real good thing. Can I just encourage you, if you have a lot of credit card debt, you should really cut those credit cards up and not live with them anymore. Start paying everything with cash, right? Learn to live below your means. My favorite character in the movie is Chris Pratt, Owen. I mean, Owen is a good-looking dude. I can't believe that dude used to be on Parks and Recreation, right? (laughs) He's like this Hollywood stud now. I love watching his movies, Garden of the Galaxies and stuff. But his character in this movie you know what? He, I mean, he's so cool because he had a relationship with a velociraptor. I mean, he hung out and trained a velociraptor. 
I mean, he's pretty cool. He's a man's man. But you know why? You know what else I really liked about him? He lived below his means. He didn't live in an extravagant home. He lived in a trailer. He lived simply. And there's something beautiful about that. You know, I know there's a lot of things that are coming up on TV shows on stuff like called Tiny House. And now there's some people now in this country that are trying to figure out, how do I live below my means, which I think is a great, great thing. We have to learn to live below our means. If you struggle today, because listen, I realize that debt and credit card debts and stuff is a real big problem for some of us. If you really struggle with that, could I really encourage you to connect with Pastor Kevin? Email him, kevin.swanson at emetro.org and say, can I just get some advice from you? He's helped couples and people in our church get out of incredible debt. Incredible debt. Six digits debts. He's helped people in our church get over that. Sometimes you just need somebody who's really good at kind of guiding you, and you just need a mentor to help you along. Like, you know, when you want to get in shape, you hire a personal trainer. You just need like a financial personal trainer to help you get out of your debt. I encourage you to sit down with him and have a chat with him uh, because this desire to want more and more and more will never stop. You're always going to want more. I struggle with it all the time. I've been watching the Tour de France. Anyone watch Tour de France here? Wow, one person. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Sean rides once in a while, yeah. I'm a cyclist. I'm not a competitive cyclist, but I like riding. Uh, Pastor Mike Neal, myself, we rode up to Boston from Fort Lee a couple weeks ago, 250 miles. We had such a great time, a lot of great fellowship. We really enjoyed our time together. But the Tour de France is like the Olympics of cycling. It's the Super Bowl of cycling. Hundreds of riders from around the world come together and they ride about 3,000 miles. They compete for 21 stages. Today is stage nine. I watched a little bit before I came. All right. I love watching the Tour de France. I have a couple favorites. All right. I love watching the Tour de France because I love that kind of competition. But you know why I love watching the Tour de France? I love looking at those bikes, man. <laughs> those bikes are amazing. I just said, uh, you can find anything on the internet. I just Googled. Bike, road bikes on the Tour de France 2018, and they had a website on all the bikes, like the, like the top 10 riders and their teams. They had it on display, what kind of bike that they're riding. And for an entire hour, I was looking through every bike. <laughs> those bikes go for average about $15,000 for one of those bicycles. I was looking at it, looking at it, studying it, <laughs> wanting looking at the gear systems and stuff. And then I thought to myself, do I know anyone that works for these bicycle companies <laughs> that can give me a pastoral deal? <laughs> I, I, I'm serious. I really started going through the catalog in my mind. Who do I know that works for Cannondale? Who do I know that works for Trek? And there was a part of me that said, what do I need to do maybe to get one of these in the future? But guys, I already have a really nice bike. I actually have a real nice bike. I don't need another bike, but just getting sucked into that vortex of just looking at these bikes and just seeing the beauty of it and feeling like I need it. It will make me a better rider. I'll be more competitive. It will be great if I had this bike. I just kind of hit that road. And I'm telling you, if we're not careful, if we're not content with what we have, we will always want more. Having more is not the way to life. Having God... Having Jesus is the way to life. So will you be content with what you have? Will you spend less than you make? Will you do that today? 
what can you begin to start saying, all right, well, I, I'm going to start doing less of this so I can live below my means and I can have a greater savings account. What can I start doing? I want to get, 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 get on that path. The second thing that's really helped me over the years to really help me to be content with what I have is to become more generous. The greatest antidote to greed is generosity, right? Because generosity is, the, is a fundamental characteristic of God's nature. And so when you and I can be more generous with what we have, what we're doing is we're not looking at what we need. We're looking at what others may need, and we serve, and we help them generously in that way. But you cannot be generous unless you're living below your means. Impossible. And please don't go into debt because you're trying to be generous. That's not what God wants you to do. He doesn't want you to go into debt so you can be generous. No, you give out of what you make. You're never to go into debt to to, uh, to be generous. You're not supposed to do that, right? Look at what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 18. Beautiful, beautiful verses. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, which he means heaven, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul is saying, listen, you should be storing up your treasures and you should have a desire to want to get wealthy in heaven, not here. Because what's true life is our life in eternity with God. Listen, we're going to live here for about 80 to 85, maybe some of you 90, 95 years, but that's it. Heaven's for real and it's for eternity. And our faith in Jesus Christ is what gets us to heaven. Salvation is only, it only comes to what Christ has done for us on the cross, his death and his resurrection. If we believe in that, we are able to go to heaven. But make no mistake about this, rewards is very different. God gives you rewards in heaven based upon how you live your life here on earth. And Paul's saying, invest in heaven, don't invest here. Because that's true life. Life here is but before breath, invest in heaven. And he's saying that we are to be willing to share, to be generous, to take on this characteristic that God has given to us. 2 Corinthians 9.11, Paul says, you will be made rich in every way. And when he says every way, it's not just money. A lot of times when we think rich, we think money. No, he's saying every way. You'll be rich in your relationships. You'll be rich in your emotional health. You'll be rich in your physical health. You'll be rich in every way, he says, so you can be generous on every occasion. Why does God make you rich in every way? So that you can be generous. That's the purpose of why you're rich in every way. So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's such a beautiful, beautiful place to be. God wants you. And wouldn't you want to be wealthy in your relationships today? Man, wouldn't you want to be wealthy in that? Wouldn't you want to be wealthy in your emotions have a good night's sleep for once in your life. Stop living your life with so much anger and bitterness and hate or maybe feeling like you're a disappointment in life. Wouldn't you want to live your life in that kind of wealth? It's so sad because a lot of us would choose to be financially rich and we choose to live in poverty in our relationships. And we think that's okay, that we become these relational beggars. It's a really dangerous place for us to be. God created you not so that you can just be wealthy and be alone. He created you so that you can be in relationships with people. Because the more you are in relationships with people, you're going to be in a better relationship with God. And you're saying, well, how about, but what if I get hurt by people? Yeah, that's part of it. Part of it is reconciliation, 
so that you can learn to forgive and grow and depend upon a God to help you to love certain people that you love. It's important for you to have those kinds of experiences with your wife, with your husband, with some of your close friends, with your family members. That's important to have. You cannot have this utopian view. That's heaven where you think we're just supposed to be in relationships and we don't hurt each other. We're going to hurt each other. We're selfish creatures. We hurt each other. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is this. When we hurt each other, the beautiful message is we can forgive and be in a deeper relationship with each other as a result of it. That's the most beautiful thing about it. Pastor uh, Mike, a couple weeks ago, he preached on Han Solo. And he talked about how do we live in relational prosperity. I do want to encourage you to listen to that. I think it would really help you to understand how we can live in relational prosperity. Because if there's any prosperity gospel that God wants you to live out is relational prosperity. He wants you to have healthy relations with one another. Because as we have that, we'll live in a healthy relationship with him. All right? We'll live in a healthy relationship with him. In this movie, uh, I got to talk a little bit about it. So I'm sorry if you get offended. Uh, in this movie... Um, a lot of, the, the, Mr. Lockwood, I mean, you would think that guy, he seems like a nice man, but he's got the most dysfunctional relationships of all. Horrible. He's supposed to have this granddaughter named Macy. She's a beautiful little girl. But that's not his granddaughter. That's his daughter that he cloned from his daughter who died in a car accident. And because he couldn't handle the fact that his daughter died, and I'm sorry if, if you're going to go watch this movie, but because... <laughs> He wanted his daughter, he couldn't handle the fact that his daughter was no longer there. She died of a car accident. He took her DNA and cloned her to Macy. And Macy believed that's granddaddy. And so Macy grows up with a nanny who's English. And because they're an English family, so she has to learn her English accent. They don't want her to become American. So that she could be exactly like the daughter. She looks exactly like the daughter, but not he wants her to talk like the daughter. Messed up. When you love riches and when you are rich, sometimes you, th you think you're above God. You think you can do everything, but in reality, you really can't do anything. Because this man died a hard life, and he didn't really have the relationships that he wanted. It's a sad, sad thing. Wouldn't you want to be rich in your relationships today? Will you learn to be generous? Now, the best way for us to be generous, the beginning ways in how God sort of wants us to get into this place of embracing the same thing of generosity, I call it the training wheels of growing in generosity, that he wants us to start tithing. Tithing means giving 10% of your income to God. That's what tithing is. It's the training wheels to help you. God created tithing so that we can do battle with our love for money and so that we can get to a place where we can do battle with it and succeed and win so that money does not overwhelm us in our lives. Now, now a lot of us, I think as Christians, you know, we've been taught sort of you are to tithe and, and so we do that. And, you know, I think there's some of you who say, you know what, I'm just going to split up my tithe and tithe to different organizations that I want. And you can do that. I mean, it is your money. It is your money. You can do whatever you want. But biblically speaking, tithing was always meant to go to the spiritual community in which you were living in and a part of. That's where tithing goes. It goes to the community where you are learning about God. So it goes to the church community where you are learning about God. That's where tithing should go towards. And God created that so that he can get us on this path of giving and being generous. And so I like to call it grace giving because I think for a lot of us, sometimes financially it's going to be tough. And God understands if you can't tithe. That's fine. It's grace giving. But there's going to be times where God blesses you with even more, then you should give a lot more than just a 10%. And you should get on a path and create a strategic path of generosity. 
And if you haven't done that yet, you really need to think about and sit down and say, how do I sort of create this path of generosity? Because when we do that, then we're really creating an opportunity for us to be content with what we have by living below our means and also being generous with what we have. And when we do that, the greatest, the greatest byproduct of that is being rich in your relationships. My wife and I, 13 years ago, we asked ourselves, how can we do this? And, and we started figuring out a plan and doing that, being more generous every single year. And as a result of it, what we've really been blessed with is our relationship with each other, our relationship with our children, and some relations with some people in our lives that we consider to be very close to us. We're blessed by that. And honestly, you, money can't touch those things. They can't even come close to it. I'd rather have that and be poor than be rich and not have that if you gave me the choice. And so please understand what God is doing because he created us for a relationship with him and with other people. And if we're not doing that, and if we're not doing that because of money, because it's the root to all kind of evil, it separates us from relationships, then we're really hurting ourselves. And Paul says that we're going to be pierced by many griefs because of the money that you and I want to have so much of. Growing up, I, uh, I loved the game of baseball. You know, I grew up sort of, you know, I didn't have a real close relationship with my father. You kind of know my story. But the one thing I remember that I loved doing with my father was I loved watching the Yankees with him. He loved baseball. I loved it because he loved it. And we watched every game together. Whenever it was on Channel 11, we would watch it every day together, just at, looking at the different plays. My father was a watchmaker. And for those who know the Yankees back in the 80s, my father was like a professional watchmaker. He fixed like very expensive watches. He fixed Dave Winfield's watches, Rolexes. He lived in Fort Lee. And I when he told me, he's like, hey, I met Dave Winfield. I fixed his Rolex and he showed me the watch. I'm like, oh, my God, let me see that. So, you know, he's a huge guy. Guy was like 6'6". We loved baseball. I wanted to be a baseball player. I wasn't very good, but I, I played. I dreamed that I would play for the Yankees one day. My favorite baseball player was Don Mattingly. And all of my friends, um, we would buy baseball cards and see what we got. And we always, I always wanted a Don Manley card. I was never, you know, if you buy a pack at a time, chances of you getting a Don Manley card are very slim. I don't know the numbers, but it's very slim. And so I started buying, as, as I had money, I started buying these packs of cards. But then I ran out of money. And you know what I did? I decided to look at my parents' clothes in the closet and reach into their pockets and their pants, reach into their, you know, their jacket pockets, and I would find some money sometimes. Sometimes I'd find like five, ten dollars that I'd go downstairs and buy a few more packs hoping that I'd get Don Manley. I didn't think I was stealing from them because they didn't know they had that money. So I just thought, all right, I'll just take it from them, you know. They don't know. They're going to put those clothes on. They're not going to know that they, did, you know, they're devoid of five, ten dollars. So I would go buy cards, and I didn't get a Don Mattingly card. My parents owned a store, a gift shop, and so my mom had to have, like, a lot of change for the cash register. She had this big purse, like this big wallet. You'd open it up. She'd have ones, fives, tens, and twenties in there, just stacks of them, right, because she needed it for the cash register. And so I just went into it, and I started taking, like, a 20 and a five or 20 and a 10 because the only way you can increase your chance of getting a Don Manley card is you've got to buy the whole box, <laughs> not the packs, and so I ended up buying boxes and boxes and boxes. I don't know how long I did it, but I did it for a while. I didn't think she would notice because a 20 and a 10, who's going to notice? Out of a stack of a lot of 20s and 10s, I didn't think she kept track of it. But she did. <laughs> and one day I was sleeping. And my mother is one tough cookie. My mother was an orphan at the age of nine. 
And at the age of 11, she had to work full-time at a Korean button factory in South Korea and support her grandparents who were supposed to take care of her. But they got so ill, they couldn't work anymore. So she, at the age of 11, this woman worked full-time at a button factory. She's a tough woman. I've never seen my mother cry. I've seen my mother get beaten by my father physically with his fist on her. She would be bleeding. I would see that. She would never cry. My mother never cried. And here I am just sleeping, and I wake up one morning, and her eyes just look at me, and I look at her, and as soon as we connect eyes, she just starts weeping. And she says, you know how much I've sacrificed for you? Where did I go wrong as a mother to make you think that it was okay to steal from me? And she just started weeping. I said, where did I fail as a mother? And I'm thinking, oh, my God. I had no idea what I did would hurt her like that. And so I started crying. I said, I'm so sorry. I will never do that again. I asked her to forgive me. And, of course, she forgave me eventually. <laughs> eventually she forgave me. I got the Don Mattingly card while during that time of buying those boxes. But you know what? It didn't satisfy. I thought it would really make me happy to finally get a Don Manley card, but it didn't satisfy. What elusive Don Manley card are you wanting today in your own life? And do you know what God has done for you? That he sacrificed everything for you? That he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you on the cross, to be humiliated spit upon and died on the cross and resurrect from the dead so that you can have life abundant today. What elusive Don Madeline card are you running after today that's preventing you from living in that love of the Father? Because if you don't start doing that, if you can't be content with what you have today, then you're naturally separating yourself from the love of the Father and then you will start to live in so much danger in your life. And you will have to learn to adjust your life and how to survive in the midst of all that danger. And that's how the movie ends. The movie ends by the dinosaurs getting free and they're roaming all over California, all right, all over the country now at that point. And it ends by somebody saying, now mankind needs to learn how to live with dinosaurs. They have to learn how to stay safe in the midst of all the danger that now surrounds them in their life today. When you and I want to get rich, when we love money, we surround our lives with so much danger, and we have to learn how to survive from that. Much of our time and energy is spent on trying to survive from the dangers that we've created because of our love for money. Will you be content with what you have? Will you live below your means? And will you be generous? Let's pray. I want to give you just a few moments to just even think about how you use your money. And this is not a time for you to necessarily feel bad, but this is a time for you to just really connect with God and pour your heart to him like the way you did last Sunday. Nobody on this planet loves you more than God. Nobody. I know you have great parents, but nobody on the face of this earth can love you more than God. Jesus Christ is the greatest evidence of that. How has your love for money separated you from God's love and separated you from experiencing love from other people? 
And so maybe just go to God and, say, and pray and say, God, help me to be content with what I have. Help me to live below my means. Help me, God, to truly just trust in you and be generous with what I have. I'm going to give you a few moments to do that, and then I'm just going to pray for us. God, it says, command those who are rich in this present world, and that's all of us, if we make more than $2 a day, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God, would you help us, Lord, to trust in you? And God, we know that nothing will pull us away from you and from other people in our lives when we allow money to become the reason why we separate. So God, today I pray that we'll just see money as a piece of paper. We won't see it as security. We won't see it for our self-worth. But God, we'll just see it just for what it should be. It's just money. But that we would see you for who we truly should see you as in our life and how valuable it truly is under your guidance and provision. And so help us as a church, God, to fight the battle that we always have to fight every day of this battle with materialism, this battle with wanting to be rich. Help us to rather be rich in you and rich in our relationships with others. And so we just pray for that. We pray for our 14 youth that are at Chick right now. We pray, God, that this next week would be an opportunity for them to really learn that you are the most important commodity they can ever, ever pursue in their life. Nothing greater than you. I pray that they'll come back knowing that and they'll live such passion for you and not for money or success or wealth, but they'll live for you. Help us to do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Can you flip over your communication card? There's some next steps I really would love for you to take. The first, if you've never committed your life to Jesus and, and you've done that or you want to do that, please check that off and then visit us at the next table. We love uh, to give you a free packet and also one of the pastors will be there and they'll pray with you. Second, I will be content with my money by tithing to my church, whatever church you belong to, that you would try. See what happens. See how God begins to bless you. You know, somebody recently... Um, uh, a family, I talked to them. Uh, we just had a building campaign back in early June, and uh, they're devout tithers, and they decided to make a contribution to the building campaign because they're, they're excited about what God's doing through this campaign. And they were really hesitant because they gave, they pledged a sacrificial giving, and they were worried about if they could, you know, if they could meet the goal. But they said, we're just going to trust in God and do it because we love what God's doing here. And uh, a couple weeks later, um, the husband got a raise for the exact amount that they pledged. And I'm not just saying that that's like how God's going to bless you. Uh, but I just feel like when you're willing to be generous, God will give you enough for the day so you can depend upon it for tomorrow. That's the mantra you got to know, right? 
but God will give you enough for the day so that you can depend upon him for tomorrow. So just really take that to heart. Honor, honor God with your wealth. Uh, third, I will attend the Singles Financial Peace Seminar on July 28th at 6 p.m. Uh, Pastor Kevin's going to be teaching it. Pastor Doug and his team and his ministry sponsoring it. Sorry, married couples, this is really not for you. This is for our singles community. I do want to encourage you guys to sign up for that. In fact, Pastor Kevin and his team are going to be teaching the Financial Peace University uh, starting in the fall. So that's open to everyone. And I do hope that you would really take that because that will help you to grow and, uh, and, uh, and grow in this area of your life. Uh, the fourth thing, please sign me up for Connections Dinner July 22nd at 4 p.m. Uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about this church, especially if you're a newcomer, love for you to attend this. It'll be at my home. Uh, you'll learn some history and some things about our church, and then we'll eat together and have dinner. So please check that off. It'll be next Sunday on July 22nd. And the last thing, please send me more information about donating or volunteering for Metro Blood Drive on July 22nd at 10.30 a.m. Right here at the gym. Um, God may want you to be generous with your blood. Why? To save the lives of other people. And we have lots of it. All right? Um, if you can, I do want to encourage you to think about doing this very noble thing. Um, donating your blood to help those who desperately need it. All right? Uh, you could, they need volunteers as well. But if you'd like to sign up for it, just check this off and they'll get back to you this week. And then the last thing, it's not on here, but I, I'm taking a group of people from this church to Thailand on November 2nd to the 10th. If you're interested in learning more about that, just email me, peter.on at emetro.org. Love to maybe meet with you and talk to you more about the trip.